You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Exchange server patching is going well, they say, but they also say that patching isn't enough. Crooks are continuing to look for unpatched instances, and even in the patched systems, you've got to check to make sure the bad actors have been found and ejected. AFCEA and Shell both disclose being affected by third-party breaches. Citizen Labs sees no particular problem with TikTok. Ben Yellen ponders possible U.S. response to the Microsoft Exchange server attacks. Our guest is Alex Jesus from Connectify on using VPNs to thwart government internet restrictions in Myanmar. And a major manga fan site is down. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021. Microsoft Exchange Server patching has gone extraordinarily well, the record reports, with roughly 92% of all Exchange servers as of yesterday having had either patches or other emergency mitigations applied. The one-click tool Redmond has made available has been downloaded more than 25,000 times since its release last week, Fortune writes. The tool has received positive reviews, with FireEye, for one, praising the easily downloaded turnkey script that organizations can use to both apply patches and determine whether their systems have been compromised. That's all good news, but patching alone isn't sufficient. Potentially affected organizations need to do some threat hunting and remediation before they can consider themselves in the clear. According to CyberScoop, CISA's acting director yesterday cautioned that patching is not sufficient. There are literally thousands of compromised servers that are currently patched, and these system owners, they believe they are protected, end quote. They're not, of course. Thousands of exchange servers were compromised before the patches were available, and if the attackers were in them, unless they've been found and booted out, they're still there. And of course, even with 92% of on-premise exchange servers fixed, that still leaves around 30,000 of them unpatched. Criminals are still seeking to get while the getting's good, 
Computing reports that Black Kingdom ransomware operators are among those seeking to exploit Exchange Server proxy logon vulnerabilities. Their source is Marcus Hutchins, the security researcher who blogs at Malwaretech, and Mr. Hutchins says he caught Black Kingdom over the weekend in a honeypot. We add an obligatory note from recent history. Mr. Hutchins was the hero who found the WannaCry kill switch, but who was subsequently convicted by a U.S. court of earlier involvement with the Kronos banking trojan and sentenced to time served, a year of supervised release and a fine. The judge said at sentencing that Mr. Hutchins appeared to have outgrown and forsaken his earlier criminal ways and that the court took notice of that. Attacks also continue actively scanning for servers that remain unpatched, with F-Secure seeing a significant number of attempted hacks daily. ZDNet quotes F-Secure as saying, they're being hacked faster than we can count. Acting CISA Director Wales also said that the list of SolarWinds victims had solidified FCW reports and that he doesn't expect many, if any, new victims to come forward. AFCEA yesterday emailed its members to notify them that Spargo, a third-party vendor who handles registration for AFCEA events, had sustained a ransomware attack and that some member personal information may have been compromised. Financial data are believed to be unaffected. Specifically, the compromise may have included names, addresses, email addresses, phone numbers, fax numbers, job titles, and organizational affiliation. To the best of AFCEA's knowledge, credit cards and other financial information, passwords, social security numbers, dates of birth, and driver's licenses aren't at risk. Spargo is investigating, and AFCEA is staying close to them for updates. Shell disclosed yesterday that it has discovered personal data the company held was affected by the Excelion breach. Regulators, law enforcement authorities, and affected individuals have been contacted. This represents the latest fallout from the compromise of Excelion's FTA software. So, TikTok. Privacy nightmare and national security threat, or just a goofball site where you can watch someone bop their head to Millie B.? The University of Toronto's Citizen Lab took up the question and concluded that it's the latter. TikTok is owned by China's ByteDance, but Citizen Lab found no unusual evidence of overt malicious influence. They did admit that, of course, you don't know what you don't know, and that maybe there are security issues they didn't find. And also, of course, it's possible the Chinese government could use unconventional ways to force ByteDance to turn user data over to the authorities under China's national security laws. So the charge of security threat didn't get a guilty or not guilty finding, but more of a not proven, as they say in Aberdeen. On the privacy issue, Citizen Lab shrugged and said, well, at least TikTok's no worse than Facebook, which almost amounts to a letter of recommendation now, doesn't it? So for now, at least, you can watch the cat searching an aperture, the baby getting its smiling cheeks squeezed, and Fashion Week fantasy, and so on. So enjoy. And finally, sorry, Otaku, but Mangadex, the manga fan site, says it's been hacked in an apparent extortion attempt. The hacker gained access to an admin account through the reuse of a session token found in an old database leak through faulty configuration of session management. Mangadex, after having closed off that particular problem, subsequently found that one of its developer accounts had been improperly accessed 
and at that point took its site down for more complete remediation and a security upgrade. The intruder may have been more nuisance than serious extortionist. At any rate, in the early morning on March 20th, the attacker had, as Mangadex put it, abandoned any pretenses of ransomware. They emailed some users to say, Mangadex has a DB leak. I suggest you tell their staff about it. So, Mangadex appears to be taking all the reasonable precautions one might expect. In the meantime, Otaku, what are you going to do? Granted, social distancing is probably not the same issue for you that it is to many others, but still, you're out of manga. May we suggest broadening your reading interests? Try Jane Austen, maybe. Sure, Emma isn't Sailor Moon, but we all face sacrifices, don't we? Here's an idea. Tick-tock yourself reading, Jane Austen. You'll stay busy and provide a public service beside. Start here. This is about the right length. Mr. Knightley, a sensible man about seven or eight and thirty, was not only a very old and intimate friend of the family, but particularly connected with it as the elder brother of Isabella's husband. He lived about a mile from Highbury, was a frequent visitor and always welcome, and at this time more welcome than usual, as coming directly from their mutual connections in London. He had returned to a late dinner after some day's absence, and now walked up to Hartfield to say that all were well in Brunswick Square. It was a happy circumstance, and animated Mr. Woodhouse for some time. Mr. Knightley had a cheerful manner, which always did him good. On second thought, yeah, probably best to just stick with Sailor Moon. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now, a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks, and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. 
confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose SixthSense, visit SixthSense.com. The recent military coup in Myanmar has brought renewed attention on the reality of repressive regimes taking control of Internet access. This is not unique to Myanmar, of course. There's the Great Firewall of China, and other nations dial in what they do or do not allow their citizens to access. One way around those restrictions is the use of a VPN. Connectify is a company that offers a VPN product called Speedify, and in the course of a week's time, they've seen over half a million users from Myanmar start using their service. A service, it should be said, that in the interest of global citizenry, Connectify is providing citizens of Myanmar for free. Alex Gizis is Connectify's CEO. So there was a coup on February 1st where the, the military of Myanmar overthrew the country's leadership. And they had two short internet shutdowns in the, in the first week. And they started filtering all sorts of sites. Facebook and things like that are blocked by the firewalls in the country. And uh, for the last, I would say, 15 nights in a row, they've actually just been literally cutting off the internet uh, right at 1 a.m. local time and turning it back on at uh, 9 a.m. So the whole night, they are simply disconnecting from the internet entirely. Hmm. You know, I I think it's hard for those of us uh, here in the U.S., and and certainly we cannot claim to have the the best, fastest, or cheapest internet in the world, but in general, we have good accessibility. You know, I can imagine in the days when we used to get together in the office here that, um, you know, if the internet goes down for five minutes, people start walking around nervously, you know, wondering what, what are they going to do with the rest of their day? Um, it's hard to imagine having big outages like that, but beyond that, I mean, that it's being used for political control in this way, not just in Myanmar, but around the world. Yeah, it absolutely is. And running an operation, you know, so the, the great firewall of China, of course, is, super advanced thing that filters all sorts of URLs and you know even reads the contents of messages and and things like that to make sure you're not doing you know things the government doesn't approve of but these other countries can't afford that i mean that china has i believe tens of thousands of people running that filter operation a, a china a, a minamar that they can't do that uh, so they have to come up with blunter tools like simply disconnecting the internet for eight or 23 hours at a time. So how are the citizens getting around that? What what sort of tools do they have at their disposal? Well, so once the whole internet is disconnected, there isn't much you can do. I mean, we have no magic cure to that. Uh, During during the 16 hours a day that there is internet, people are turning to VPNs to get around the the blunt filtering, right? You can't go to Facebook. Well, you, you download Speedify, you fire it up, connects to one of our servers, and now you can get on Facebook, right? Uh, so as long as you have internet access to us, we can get you to everywhere else on the internet. And that seems to be what people are doing, right? So we have you know, 500,000 active users now, Myanmar. I, and I have no idea what the competitors have, but you know, that, that's you know, 1% of the population 
is on Speedify at any given time. <laughs> Where do we suppose that this sort of arms race is headed? I mean, is the do we suppose that through the encryption that that comes with using a VPN, that's going to uh, that's going to to serve us for the long haul. It is absolutely a game of cat and mouse. You know, arm, arms race is the right term, right? So we now support ESNI. So uh, you know, we not only encrypt our data packets now, we encrypt the headers so that they can't recognize our certificate. We we use a DNS over HTTPS, you know, DOH, so that they can't block us in the DNS server, right? So, I mean, every few months, we are adding another tool to our quiver when we see some country manage to block us. We look at how, and, and we add another technology, and it just keeps ramping up. So I expect the, the arms race to really continue as an arms race for a long time. That's Alex Gizis from Connectify. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Also my co-host over on the Caveat podcast. Hello, Ben. Hey, Dave. Uh, interesting uh, article from the Lawfare blog. Uh, it's written by Dmitry Alperovich and Ian Ward, uh, and it's titled, How Should the U.S. Respond to the SolarWinds and Microsoft Exchange Hacks? Can you give us a rundown of uh, what they're proposing here, Ben? Yeah, so we've had two very high-profile cyber attacks at the behest of nation-states recently. So obviously SolarWinds, which uh, was perpetuated by agents of the Russian government, and then more recently, the attack on Microsoft Exchange servers, which we think uh, is from China. And what this article gets into, um, or this blog post, is the difference between these two attacks, uh, why th- that difference is so critical, and how it should shape our responses to these attacks. Hmm. So the solar winds attack was much more narrow. It was sort of a clinical strike. And it was much more of a responsible attack, if you can if you can say such a thing. Um, even though Russia was able to gain access to you know some of our Fortune 500 companies through this attack, they didn't exploit the vast majority of the networks that they gained access to. Um, and in fact, this, as this blog post notes, they voluntarily sent a kill switch to 99% of their potential victims, which limited their own access. The Hidden underbelly of all of this is this is the type of espionage attack that the U.S. government almost certainly has engaged in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if we were to impose a disproportionate response on Russia, 
that could be inviting uh, a disproportionate attack on us in retaliation. Mm. Uh, so for something like this, you know, there are diplomatic means you can use to respond, uh, you know, kicking out diplomats, closing diplomatic facilities, limited sanctions, that type of thing. Right. But for the Chinese, the, the, the Chinese attack on Microsoft Exchange servers, this was more of an indiscriminate attack on uh, by Chinese hackers. It was the type of thing that was not limited in scope. It wasn't carefully executed. It was broad. Uh, they basically ransacked uh, our computer networks, took as much of the loot as they could find, and are going to figure out what's useful to them uh, as they search through it. So, uh, you know, I think our response to China has to be proportionate to the scale of this attack. And we have to make it very clear, with, you know, with whatever diplomatic means we use, that this type of attack is an escalation. It's not going to be acceptable. As the blog post called it, and I think he was quoting a, another cybersecurity expert, China used a pillage everything model. And... Whatever disincentives uh, we want to give, we need to do that because this is not something that uh, that we can accept. Mm-hmm. Where do you suppose this goes from here? I mean, is is the Biden administration making any noises as to what their likely responses might be? So I think uh, they've been teasing the Biden administration for a while uh, how they're going to respond to the solar winds attack, uh, and we've heard rumors about various sanctions that are going to be instituted. The Chinese attack, the uh, Microsoft Exchange attack, is still relatively new, so we don't have much guidance as to what the response is going to be uh, and how proportionate it's going to be to the attack itself. But it seems like in the interest of not only ourselves but the international community, I think there's a call among experts to draw a bright line against this type of indiscriminate attack that we saw uh, with the Microsoft, Microsoft Exchange attack. Uh, so I think we will probably see uh, a more robust and perhaps offensive cyber operation uh, in retaliation for this attack. I have seen some folks say also in response to solar winds, because it's more of an espionage type of thing, it's more of a spy versus spy type of thing that um, there may not be public signs of our response. It may be a, a more behind the scenes thing where the you know, the, the folks who need to know that we know, that they know, that we know, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I kind of analogize it. I'm a big hockey fan. I analogize it to what happens on the ice during a game where, like, you kind of are are feeling each other out with little stick checks that nobody else can see and kind of asserting your own authority and seeing what you can get away with, uh, you know, testing that out before you actually drop the gloves and get into a fight. I kind of think that that's sort of what's happening here, Mm -hmm. Um, that we might see a response that's not immediately evident to us, but would be, you know, appropriate for more of a targeted attack like the one that we saw from Russia. Yeah. All right. Well, Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Comes with everything you see here. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe. 
where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.